Welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast, where today's brightest minds in the medical device industry go to get their most useful and actionable insider knowledge, direct from some of the world's leading medical device experts and companies. In this episode of the Global Medical Device Podcast, we cover habits of highly effective, true quality medical professionals. Now, you may be wondering what I mean by true quality, and I would encourage you to listen to this episode of the podcast to learn more. Hello, and welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast. This is your host, the founder and VP of Quality and Regulatory at Greenlight Guru, John Spear. And I'm pretty excited about this one because uh, I'm going to give you all a twist today. I've got uh, a usual voice on the Global Medical Device Podcast, Mike Drews uh, with Vascular Sciences. So Mike, welcome. Thank you, John. Always a pleasure to speak with you and your audience. All right. So Mike, recently you and I talked about the habits of highly effective medical or regulatory professionals. And I thought today we would kind of look at this through a slightly different lens and focus on some habits of highly effective, true quality medical device professionals. And here's the twist. Uh, I thought that we would kind of have a slight role reversal today that maybe you could answer or ask me some questions uh, about true quality uh, and and we can dive right into that. Is that okay with you? I would be happy to do that, Scott. All right. So I'm going to sit back and and wait for the first question. So let's just dive right into (laughs) habits of highly effective, true quality medical device professionals. Well, first of all, John, for the benefit of the audience and also for the benefit of myself, you've used the uh, phrase true quality a couple of times. Maybe as a start, why don't you tell us what you mean by true quality? Sure, absolutely. Um, you know, I think we in this industry for a long time have been, I don't know, conditioned or maybe we've conditioned ourselves. I'm, I'm not sure the, the, the root cause initially, but... Uh, but let's just say that, that we've gotten kind of complacent and, and very focused on checking boxes to be able to demonstrate compliance. And, and I like something that you've said before, you know, just being compliant with the regulations means that you're the equivalent of a C student. And, and I think when if companies realize that, then, you know, they're, they're just, they're average, you know, and some of the things that, that we believe in at Greenlight Guru is a, we're all in this to improve the quality of life. And that the notion that quality, I'm using air quotes here, is the responsibility of the quality department and and not the responsibility of others, uh, I think kind of misses the intent. Um, All of us in medical device industry have a responsibility to bring true quality to, to the table. And, you know, of course, it depends on our, the different roles that we play, but, but everything, you know, whether it be engineering or manufacturing or quality management systems or regulatory submissions or, or, and so on, marketing, sales, and so on, we all have a quality role that we play into this process. So, you know, that's kind of in a nutshell, just getting people to, to think about this a little bit more globally. So to paraphrase, John, would it be fair to say that true quality is not just simply meeting the regulatory or quality requirements, not just, you know, being a C student, but uh, going above and beyond and doing what we as professional engineers know that we should be doing? That's that's a fair statement, Mike. Absolutely. I mean, I am... um 
I'm an overachiever. Uh, maybe not everybody else is, but uh, I, I want to know what I need to do to get uh, an, a beyond an A, you know, and and just checking a box on a form to say, yep, I'm compliant. Man, that's that's not a good uh, for me. It's not a good feeling. I mean, maybe there are some out there listening who who are just fine with skating by, but uh, yeah, let's. I want to give people tips and pointers and and some habits that they can can embrace that can help them be A students. Well. John, as you and I have talked about in the past, you know, we're we're both very much on the same page and you're preaching to the choir. And perhaps as we continue through your seven habits, um, you can share with us how to implement that in reality. Because as you and I have talked about before, sometimes convincing companies to go above, above and beyond is what is required is not always an easy thing to do. So... Let's move on to your first of uh, seven habits of highly effective quality professionals, and that is your QMS should be simple and it should be right side. So what does that mean, John? Your QMS should be simple and right side. Yeah, so it's um, it's really a good, good place to start, you know, and, and folks, I, I want you to hear this. I mean, compliance with regulations is important and it's not enough. Um, and and I think sometimes in, in when companies start to establish the quality management system, and it, and it doesn't really matter if you're a startup doing this for the first time or you're a well-established business that has had a quality system in place for decades. Um, this is a thing that can, that without careful uh, attention and focus, a quality management system can can be uh, kind of unwieldy uh, pretty fast. And, you know, in my practice over the past twenty years, I've seen really kind of two extremes. I've seen the one extreme where the quality system is is ad hoc and almost non-existent at times, and then the other extreme that I've seen. It typically employed by like larger companies, but not always, is a quality management system that's overly burdensome and and creates a lot of minutia, a lot of bureaucracy, a lot of a lot of forms and paperwork, if you will, that frankly don't add value to the process. And and so my philosophy on quality management system is let's keep it as simple as we possibly can. Let's not just make a bunch of rules for the sake of, of them making rules. Um, yes, we, of course, want to adhere to regulations, but we need to have conscious efforts to make sure that our quality management system evolves and is right-sized to fit the shape and size of company that we are. If I'm a startup, that's probably going to look uh, quite a bit different than if I'm a company that, that's a multinational with you know, a dozen different facilities and sites across the globe. But we need to keep, we need to be cognizant of, and we need to keep our quality management system as simple as it possibly can. Because at the end of the day, the the employees, the people who need to follow those processes and procedures that we're defining, they need to know what to, what they're doing. And they need to understand the intent behind that. And, and so hopefully that gives you a little bit better perspective of what I mean about keeping a quality management system simple and the right size. Well, I love the idea, John, keeping it simple and right-sized, and perhaps I could take it even a half a step further. I would say personalized or customized as well, because uh, and oh, this is sure. a recommendation that I make to a lot of the companies that I work with. Uh, your quality management system should not be cookie-cutter. It should not be the same as you know every other medical device company. Just recently, I have a company that I'm working with on the regulatory side, but they, they, they wanted some help on the quality side as well. And they were looking to purchase some, let's just say, canned documents about design inputs and outputs and, you know, different processes and so on. 
from one of these outfits that sell, you know, here's the form, buy it, put it in your, in your QMS is, is, uh, is essentially ready to go. And in my opinion, John, uh, and you might agree or disagree, but that defeats the entire purpose of having a QMS. No, I, I do agree. I mean, yes, folks, if, if you want to be that, uh, that C student or maybe even a D student in this case, you can go spend a couple thousand dollars on the internet and you can buy, you know, this, this canned package of quality system procedures. If that's what you want to do, go for it. Um, but please tell me when you do that, because I want to know what medical devices your company is, is developing <laughs> and manufacturing, because I don't know that I want those used on myself or, or anyone that I love and care about. But anyway, um, uh, yeah, yeah, I tend to agree. I mean, you got to you got to own this. I mean, sometimes people look at quality system as a burden, as something they have to do. Uh, I want you to look at it in a different way. I want you to look at it as something. This is something that you get to do. This this describes your business processes, and of course, your business has unique characteristics, unique features, unique attributes, and your quality management system should be customized to reflect that. It's kind of on the on the regulatory side. It reminds me there. Believe it or not, this is a true story. There is an outfit on the internet that sells a five ten k template for one hundred and fifty dollars. So, oh wow! Um, anyway, let's move on to uh, your your second of the seven uh, habits of highly effective quality professionals, and that is to move away from paper based approaches. Now, I'll be honest with you, John. There's a little irony here because as we speak, the notes for our conversation I have written on a piece of paper. So maybe I'm yeah. uh, you know violating one of your of your seven <laughs> habits. But what do you mean by move away from paper based approaches? Sure. That's a, and, and Mike, I, I take no, I have a notepad and a pen that I take to every meeting and conversation that I go. So for me, and it's some of it's generational, I think, but for me, you know, I'm, I'm still an avid, a manual note taker on paper. So I'm not saying that, that paper doesn't have a place in what you do. What I'm proposing here is that if your quality management system and your processes and your, and your approach to day-to-day activities largely lives in, and I'm using, I'm going to use air quotes here as well around the word paper-based approaches, um, that that might be a little bit fragile and it might not scale. Now, I use air quotes around paper-based approaches uh, for the reason because a lot of companies have digitized their approach. Um, so, you know, think of the, the the olden days, Mike, when you and I first started in this industry, <laughs> um, you know, the literal paper-based approach involved a lot of cases file cabinet you know you open a drawer in a file cabinet and there's a bunch of folders or maybe binders and and um you know when information is contained in that file cabinet um it is hard for that to be shared and it's hard to collaborate with others who have you know stakeholders in that particular thing that you're doing you know how do you how do you get that information you know in, uh, disseminated uh, to others who are involved in either a product development effort or manufacturing and so on? You know, so that physical file cabinet is a hard thing to maintain and scale, especially with the nature of of companies these days. I mean, it is a rare thing for a medical device company to be complete, completely vertically integrated at a single site or single location. And so, you know, information about your products and processes, it needs to be shared uh, across multi-functions, multi-groups, and oftentimes multiple locations. So 
what a lot of companies have done is they've more or less have replicated the, the old school uh, physical file cabinet, physical paper. And, and instead they've created the same sort of uh, structure in like a server folder tree, or, you know, maybe they've got a, a SharePoint site where it's, you know, folder upon folder upon folder. But basically what they've done is replicated uh, the file cabinet in digital form. And that, that's, that doesn't scale very well either because information that people need uh, to do their jobs is buried somewhere in a folder and they may or may not know where that is, or they may use the wrong version and that sort of thing. So these approaches are very fragile. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of business risk that's, that's tied up in these paper-based approaches. Uh, so, you know, we're at a, a day and age where companies need to start to shift and transition to purpose-built solutions to manage their quality system, to manage their, their key documentation and records. And frankly, that's what we've done at Greenlight Guru is we've built a purpose-built solution for the medical device industry uh, to help companies make that shift. Well, I like that phrase, John, purpose-based solution. Um, and you're right. Obviously, there's a lot of advantages of electronic um uh, uh, files and so on, as opposed to a paper-based system. But let me also, you know, compare that to the regulatory side. I see uh, a lot of people today making electronic submissions to the FDA via, you know, PDFs or you know that kind of thing. But rarely do they take advantage of all the bells and whistles that come along with the uh, the electronic uh, submissions, like for example hyperlinks and, and, and so on. So the purpose here is not just simply to save a few trees, although that's certainly a, a, an admirable goal, but I think to go beyond that. So oh, for sure. let's, move on. let's move on to your third of the seven effective habits of highly effective quality professionals, and that is always be audit ready. That seems kind of short and simple. What do you mean by always be audit ready? Sure. Well, let me... Let me share a story that um, it's not a unique story. It's one that I have heard many, many times. And Mike, you probably have heard this as well. Um, and, and the story goes something like this. Company gets a phone call and it's from FDA. And FDA is, is giving them notice that they're going to come and do uh, a, an inspection of their facility. And it's going to happen in two weeks. So the person receiving that call at the company, you know, sends out the the APB to the to the to the organization. And says, "Oh, FDA is going to be here in two weeks." And now all of the different managers and VPs, now they're like they're going around almost um, <laughs> person to person. The FDA is coming. The FDA is coming, and, and we need to clean this up, and we need to change this, and we need to make sure this is happening and that's happening. It's like all of a sudden, when when a company realizes that they're uh, going to have an FDA inspection or an ISO audit, it's like all of a sudden they they start to uh, promote that we have to behave differently, and that just drives me crazy, um, folks. It drives me crazy ready. too, John. I mean, why do you have to have a different behavior uh, because FDA is there? Why do you have to have a different behavior because ISO audit is happening? It should be the same behavior regardless of who is in your facility. You shouldn't have something to hide. You shouldn't have something uh, to, to share. You, know, to, to, you shouldn't change. You know, so you should be audit ready all day, every day. doesn't matter if, if you know the FDA is coming or not. Um, it shouldn't change your behavior. So that's what I mean by that. 
And as a result of what you just described, John, I think most of these audits and inspections are totally artificial because, you know, like you just said, um, everybody is on their best behavior. So what do you think of this idea, John? This is something that I've proposed before. Why should FDA provide any advance notice whatsoever? Why don't they just simply show up at your door and, you know, hi, we're here from the FDA, uh, you know, show us what you're up to. What do you think of that idea, John? Well, I don't, I don't, I'm not opposed to that idea at all because again, I'm, I'm a huge fan of, of companies being transparent with what they're doing. And, and, you know, theoretically FDA could do that now. They don't have to give you notice. It is a courtesy when they do, they don't have to. So and I think that's where, you know, you know another important aspect of, of this particular habit is if you're of the mind that, you have nothing to hide, then why should you, why should it matter who's there? You know, the, the, you're right. A lot of audits, a lot of FDA inspections, they're very sterile. They're, they're, it's almost like they're rehearsed, you know, and, and it's, and it's not a genuine activity. And, you know, that's, that's concerning if we as an industry are behaving that way. Well, you know, John, it's it's interesting. Let's let's be uh, candid here. You know, um, you said it's almost like being rehearsed. I think it is exactly being rehearsed because it's very typical for companies to rehearse with their employees what to say and how to say it. You know, during an inspection. So, to our friends and listeners in the audience who might get a, l- a little nervous about the idea of having you know somebody just show up at your door unannounced. I would just say this, if you're doing all the things that you should be doing anyway, then you have absolutely nothing to worry about and you should welcome that. On the other hand, if you have concerns about some of the things that you're doing, maybe now is the time to be a bit proactive and say, gee, maybe we should make sure that all of our ducks in a row, you know, before somebody does come knocking on that door. Yeah, so let's move on to. Uh, well, uh, sorry, well, go ahead. I just, I just wanted, I just wanted to add one thing before we leave that topic. You know, th- there are, there is advantages to to doing some rehearsal of, you know, knowing what to expect during an FDA inspection and an ISO audit. Don't mishear me, but it shouldn't change your behavior. So do be prepared and uh, know how to how to navigate these particular activities. Because it, 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 you know, granted, an FDA inspector showing up. I mean, it, it is going to create, um, it is going to be a different day than if the FDA is not there. But, but it shouldn't be a whole uh, new act, you know, a whole new way of doing business. It should be business as usual, as for the most part. Your point is very well taken, John. Thank you for that uh, that clarification. And to be fair, this is something I do a lot as well, as we've talked about before. I also work as uh, as a uh, expert witness in product liability uh, cases for medical devices. And while I would never, in a million years, um, uh, allow any attorney to influence the content of my message, I will also I will always welcome their advice on how to spin it, how to present that information. So there, there is a difference. Um, anyway, thank you for that uh, clarification. So let's move on to habit number four of seven habits of highly effective quality professionals, and that is implement risk-based approaches in decision-making. You and I have talked about risk many times. What do you mean by implement risk-based approaches in decision-making? Yeah. So every day uh, you're, you're going to be faced with decisions that you need to make, um, whether it be about 
specific design features of your product or you received a quality event of some sort, maybe it'd be a complaint or, or you had a non-conformance of manufacturing. Um, all of these, these things that happen, all these events that happen on a day-to-day basis, you know, they're applying a risk-based uh, logic to this. And what I mean by that is try to understand the scope and, and the order of magnitude and, and, and the potential impact that, that it, this issue presents to your organization. And, you know, like in the, the a complaint is a good example to kind of walk through. If you get a complaint from a customer about something about your product, you need to understand how big of a complaint is this? Is this, is this something that's kind of a, you know, nice to have? Is it, uh, is it something that caused some sort of injury or has the potential to cause some sort of injury? And so it's really being able to apply this, this risk-based decision-making to those types of events so that, you know, the thing that, that's kind of a nice to have, the, the actions that may come out of, of that risk-based decision, uh, the actions might be drastically different than something that is, is um, a potential issue from a, from a health standpoint, from, a, from an end-user health standpoint. Uh, I would hope that, that, you know, if a product has the potential or an issue has the potential to cause some sort of injury or adverse event of some sort, that that would be a much higher profile, much higher priority, that you would be much more, very much more diligent in the types of actions that you're taking to address. So, you know, it's really about, you know, I think Mike, you and I've talked about this emergency room analogy uh, before, and it's kind of a good analogy. I mean, if you think about, you know, you're running an ER, and patients, you know, are coming in off the street uh, for anything from, you know, a stubbed toe to, you know, a heart attack. You're going to treat those uh, those patients differently because of the risk that that they present. And so you should think about your quality events, the things that are happening on the day-to-day with a similar uh, type of lens. Well, you're exactly right, John. And uh, you're referring to something that we talked about recently, uh, your risk-based approach, which I uh, 100% agree with, is similar to what I call my triage approach. Um, uh, and, and you know, this is something that to me as an engineer makes sense. However, the unfortunate reality, John, and I would love to hear your thoughts on this, right now I'm working with a company who received a 483 uh, because they are not treating all of their complaints equally. They are addressing all of their complaints. They are all investigating them, but they are taking this risk-based approach, this triage approach, and yet the inspector you know, gave them a 483 because, uh, at least in her view, she thinks all complaints should be uh, uh, treated equally. What is your uh, thinking on that, John? Well, I'm just going to say I don't agree with that. I mean, it's unfortunate that that the company received a 483 observation because it sounds like a little bit that you've shared about what they're doing. It sounds like they're actually applying a risk-based approach and and they're actually you know putting good business practices in place to uh, evaluate and and address those types of issues. Um, folks, not all uh, quality events are equal. Not all complaints are equal. Not all CAFAs are equal. And and what we do as medical device professionals, you know, we we have to apply this some sort of logic to figure out what are the most important things that we need need to be focused on. So I don't know. I mean, I'm sure you've got a tough challenge ahead of you, uh, and and trying to 
manage that particular situation, but it, it doesn't make any sense that you would handle all things equally. It's just, that's just not the way things happen. It's just not the way the world works. Well, I agree, John. That is not the way the world works. You know, not all events are equal and they should not be treated equally. But perhaps in this ultra hypersensitive, politically correct society that we've evolved into, that's contrary to dogma. You know, everybody is equal. You know, everybody shows up yeah. as a trophy. You know, I, I don't yeah. know. Something to think about. Um, anyway, let's move on to uh, the fifth. So we're in the home stretch now of your seven habits of highly effective quality professionals. And that is stop reacting to events and instead be proactive. What do you mean by stop reacting and be proactive? Yeah. So um, I think we, you know, this is, this, there's a lot of symptoms <laughs> that, uh, that have kind of led to this, but we as an industry uh, have accepted for, for far too long now that it is okay for us to wait for something to happen. And once we learn that something's happened, then um, we, we do, do something about it. Maybe maybe it's cultural too because you know you think about uh, and I don't let me go too far down this rabbit hole, Mike. Uh, pull me out if I get too deep. But <laughs> but uh, if you think about like the healthcare in in the United States specifically, it's a very uh, reactive uh, system right now. You, you wait till you know something bad happens and then you go to the doctor and then you know for for all intents and purposes, a lot of issues. Uh, they're treated with quote a band-aid you know um we didn't get to the root cause and we we reacted instead you know be proactive and what i mean that don't wait for something to happen be go out and try to try to learn about your products and processes um always look for opportunities to improve those things and there will you know if you have the right kpis the right uh, metrics that you're you're in place and, and you're not going to get it right out of the gate. You're going to, you need to establish some sort of means to measure your product and process performance. Um, but you, you try to get as many leading indicators as you possibly can so that you can understand what's going on, what's truly going on and, and be and track and trend these types of, 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 processes so that you can learn about things before they become big issues, before they actually happen uh, to become adverse events or, or negative uh, effects. You know, monitor and evaluate, track and trend, and take action before the issue becomes a big deal. Well, I think it's uh, excellent advice, John, but it's also sometimes easier said than done. You know, I kind of hinted at the For beginning sure. of our conversation today. You know, it's not always easy to convince the bean companies, in our, sorry, the bean counters in our companies to go above and beyond. You know, how do we convince the bean counters? And I'm using that phrase bean counter affectionately. Uh, but how do we convince them to spend the time and the money to uh, try to solve a problem before it pops up? How do we yeah. convince them to build a quality system that is more right-sized, more personalized than what is required? How do we convince yeah. them to do, you know, more testing or whatever on the that 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 might be required by the regulation or the FDA? Um, is this? Do, do you, uh, in a succinct way, John, do you have any words of wisdom to to share with the audience on how to win that argument? I have words of wisdom. I guess you can be the judge if it's succinct or not. But uh, um, the, the words of wisdom that I apply is, you know, companies need to 
I think this this notion of cost of, of poor quality, uh, I don't know that that's that's made it into our, our lexicon or or even into our practices in a really in a significant way uh, as of yet in the industry. Um, but if you think about you know, you, complaint is a good example because it is highly visible. Uh, as far as product performance, ultimate product performance in the marketplace. I mean, if you think about the, the activities that you have to go through to address a complaint, you know, even just to assess and, and apply some risk-based logic to it. I mean, there's, a, there's effort that goes into that. And a lot of times what, you know, and, and then you can look at like capital process, you can look at non-conformances, um, you can look at, you know, your overall document management efficiency and, and so on. And you can pick any one of these areas, product development. The cost of being reactive, um, almost all, not always, but in many respects, will rear its head in poor quality. And it will be, it will be you know, situations where you're going to have to react and respond to events and situations. And, you know, if you think about from a bean counter perspective, how many resources... Uh, do you have dedicated or allocated to simply address these uh, reactive events? You know, is that are those departments are they growing in numbers and and people and and tools and, and systems that you're putting in place just to deal with those things? That could be pretty expensive. Whereas, you know, if you can address that ahead of time, maybe you don't need quite the resource allocation to, to react to situations. So I don't know if that's as succinct as, as you were hoping for, but but I think people should should try to evaluate what is the cost of poor quality? What are what are the metrics uh, and, and items that could be indicators of whether or not your products and processes uh, are where they need to be? Well, I think that is good advice, John. Certainly, uh, you know, it would be difficult for me to provide any better advice. But we also have to acknowledge what is unfortunate reality in our industry, in our business, and that it is in most medical device companies, it's not the regulatory or quality or R&D folks that are ultimately calling the shot. It's the business and the marketing folks. So, you know, that's that, though, <laughs> you know, and sometimes people don't want to say that, you know, it's, it's, uh, I read in the mission statements of a lot of companies, you know, we want to develop and bring to the market only the most uh, safe and effective products as we can, yada, yada. Sometimes I wonder, and I'll leave this as a rhetorical comment. John, but sometimes I wonder, does anybody really believe this stuff? <laughs> you know, or is just we we we're we're lining up to drink the Kool Aid. Anyway, yeah, let's move on to let's move on to uh, to the sixth habit of seven habits of highly effective quality professionals, and that is break down silos and barriers. That's very simple on the surface, but I have a feeling there's a lot that goes under that. What do you mean by breaking down silos and barriers? Yeah. So, and it kind of gets back to some of the comments that I shared on at the beginning uh, about you know being compliance-minded versus a, a true quality professional. Um, you know, and, and the, the term quality uh, in and of itself carries a lot of baggage, um, and I suspect in a lot of organizations it has a lot of negative connotations. Unfortunately, uh, I think um, a lot of companies they view that quality department or that quality function. Uh, almost as an extension of um, a regulatory agency like the FDA. Uh, they, they view the quality department as the department who makes a bunch of rules and establishes, uh, you know, the, the, all the things that I have to do, all the, and they're creating a lot of burden. They're creating a lot of, of obstacles. They're preventing me from getting my job done. And, and it's unfortunate, but a lot of companies, uh, 
they are structured that way, um, which you know hopefully a, we can. In a lot of in a lot of companies, John, they're simply viewed as the police. They are. They are viewed as the police, and you know. Um, and we all have, you know, like I, on my drive uh, into the office this morning, um, you know, there was one point on my drive and I, I was going the speed limit and I was following all the traffic laws and all that sort of thing. But I could see a police car, you know, three or four cars behind me in my rear view mirror. And it's like all of a sudden I behave differently. And it's kind of back to that notion that I mentioned earlier. Why would I have to behave differently if I wasn't doing anything wrong? But it's it's kind of like we've been conditioned this way, unfortunately. Um, but you know, it's, it's at a time where, you know, in a a lot of companies, it's, it's, I don't know what it is, you know, I I guess I kind of equate it to, it's like this, um, it's like power, you know, the, the, some of the organizations quality wields a lot of power within the company because they are the police, they make the rules and, you know, and, and sometimes it, it leaves other areas uh, feeling disenfranchised and, and other organizations I've seen where the human resource uh, department wields a lot of power uh, and, and that sort of thing. And, and that's not a healthy culture. It's not a healthy environment. I mean, we're and, and like I can use Greenlight Guru, for example. I mean, we have our customer success department. We have our marketing department. We have our sales department. We have our development department and, and operations and so on. And you know, we focus on on cross-functional uh, interactions, you know, because we everything that each of us does has a relationship to another area of the business. And so it's very important. We focus a great deal on that culture and making sure that as best as you can, that there are no uh, silos, that there are no barriers, that there are no there are no walls between these organizations because we're all in this together. We're all trying to achieve that same thing. And, and to your point about the mission statement, I hope companies truly, if people in those companies truly do believe that they're trying to improve the quality of life, that they're, they're trying to make sure that the products and the processes that are involved in, in, in these devices that they're designing, developing and manufacturing, that they, they are making a difference for the patients who receive those. And I think if we, if we all look at, at our world, our role, our business through that lens, that we can try to understand uh, the purpose and, and the benefits of, of having this cross-functionality. Well, again, John, I love the sentiments. I love the philosophy. It sounds like we should break out into a, a harmony of kumbaya or something, but uh, we won't do that. Let's move on uh, to the seventh habit of highly effective quality professionals. And uh, before I announce it, here's a little sound effect. So that was supposed to be a, a <laughs> drum roll, you know my 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 primitive my primitive attempt at uh, at levity here. Anyway, the seventh and final <laughs> habit of uh, highly effective quality professionals, according to John Spear, is shift from compliance minded to true quality focused. I think this is going to tie up a lot of what you and I have been talking about, not just today but in the past. Yeah. What does that mean, John? Shift from a compliance minded to a true quality focused. Yeah, and, and folks, everything that I've been sharing with you today is really with this this I, notion or this idea. Um, you know, I am I my journey into the medical device industry was at least initially was not was somewhat accidental um, and maybe may serendipitous, I suppose. But but uh, I didn't plan on entering into the medical device industry out of school. 
the and, and it really the gravity of of what I was involved with didn't really hit me until I had been at a medical device company uh, for at least you know eighteen months, maybe a couple of years. And the the first moment that it hit me. Uh, I was working on uh, designing and developing a new uh, catheter-based introducer product. And, you know, I did a lot of work on the testing. You know, I was, quote, compliance-focused, at least uh, in those early activities on the design and development of this this particular device. You know, I was making sure that I checked all the boxes, that I had all the biocompatibility, that I addressed the sterilization, that I had done the performance, and so on and so forth. You know, I was very task oriented in in my uh, my function or my job to get this product to that next step. And uh, and in the moment that it really hit me uh, was the first clinical use of this particular device. I was in the OR. Uh, you know, I was 12 inches away. Uh, from the anesthesiologist who was using the product, 12 inches away from the patient who was about to receive this device that I had designed and developed and tested and and checked all the boxes on all the forms to make sure that it was, quote, safe and effective. And and then I had, um, I had a moment where uh, internally I was freaking out. And I was internally freaking out because the gravity of that situation suddenly hit me. And I was like, oh my goodness, this is a real patient. This is a real doctor. This is, this is a real procedure. And this is a real device that, that I had a hand in designing and developing. And, you know, and everything went well. Um, but, and it probably just took a few seconds. But man, I, I, it's like, in some respects, it was like my entire life was passing in front of my eyes. I mean, it was, it was a, a very uh, intense moment. And from that moment on, you know, I love what I do because I know that working in the medical device industry, that I have an opportunity to help bring new exciting technologies that are going to make life better for you, for me, for the people that we love and care about. And, and if we have that, that true quality focus, when we consider what it is that we do, then, then I think that, you know, the, the medical device industry will always be in the medical device industry period because I believe in the ultimate humanity uh, mission for humanity that, that we can all play. And if you're just checking boxes on forms, I think you're going to miss that. Well, I think that personal story of your first experience with the patient in the uh, OR or the cath lab was a wonderful story, John. And it's particularly apropos here because as we just went through the seven habits of highly effective quality professionals, which is a riff of Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective uh, People, um, you know, what you're describing, John, is what Dr. Covey calls a paradigm shift, uh, you know, where, where you have a, a uh, based on one particular experience, you know, a, a true shift, a true um, change in, uh, in the vision and the purpose. So thank you for sharing that story. And by the way, a couple of companies that I work with um, they will try to do something similar with their employees. I've seen companies, and this is, of course, not required, but they will invite a patient to come in and talk to their employees. And oftentimes this is done for the, the manufacturing workers on the floor to tell them, you know, as a result of using their particular medical device, how their life was changed, how their life was improved, in some cases, how their life was even saved. 
And so you're exactly right. You know, this is, you know, I make jokes about this sometimes, but this is high stakes bingo. So, John, thank you so much for sharing your seven habits of highly effective quality professionals. Before we wrap this up, if you were to summarize this into sort of one takeaway, one lesson to be learned, one most important point to their to the audience, what might that be? Uh, wow, uh, you're, 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 you're putting me on the spot. So, uh, <laughs> um, I, you know, I think now more than ever, I mean, there's the things that you're doing, we certainly don't want them to be, um, you know, evening news material. And, and you know, if you're, if you're making headlines on the evening news or, or, you know, in, in newspapers, I think those are still a thing, but, uh, you know, or on the internet, uh, Usually these days, it's not because of good news, you know, and, and, and nobody wants to, to be known for, for, you know, the, the bad event, you know, help Mike. So you and I both know they're making documentaries about all the things that go wrong in our industry these days. And, and, you know, I, I guess what I hope uh, companies realize and people listening to this will realize is we, we have an opportunity to tell our story and we have the opportunity to to be uh, advocates for improving patients' lives, and and we have, I think, also a responsibility to be that voice of customer, and to make sure that the things that we're doing in the medical device industry uh, are are going to yield positive patient experiences. So, you know, I just I just hope people can change their mindset, and to your point. Uh, shift their paradigm to to realize that what each and every one of us does in this industry uh, has an awesome impact. Uh, Awesome could be good. It can be bad. It really is your choice. So I'll let you wrap this up in just one moment, John. I just got to add one last comment. I found it interesting that you just said that your goal is to avoid being on the evening news. My goal is actually to be on the evening news. But here's the difference. I want to be on the evening news in a good way. I want to be on the evening news uh, news announcing that we just came out with a wicked cool new medical device yeah. that has the potential to, you know, improve people's lives, save lives and so on and so on. So uh so so um you know, is the glass half empty or half full? Uh <laughs> I want to be on the news but in a good way, not in yeah. uh, unfortunately a bad way. Yeah, really good point. Really good point. So, um, Mike, thanks for for being open to a little bit of a, a role reversal today, and um, and diving into this topic, folks. Um, as always, if I would encourage you to reach out to a guy like Mike Drews with, with Vascular Sciences. I mean, the the guy is simply a pro. I mean, he he cares uh, a great deal about the products and, and the processes that and the devices that you're trying to bring to market and and he is a, an advocate of of your cause and and he knows how to navigate these regulatory waters which you know at times can be treacherous and they can be confusing and that sort of thing but you know think of Mike Drews as the Lewis and Clark to get you <laughs> <laughs> or maybe the Sacagawea would be a better a better uh, term, but um, truly, Mike is is the best out there, and and he knows how to navigate this process, and 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 can be an advocate for what you're doing. So I would encourage you to reach out to him uh, if you have some questions and comments about getting your product to that next step. And then, um, of course, as always, Greenlight Guru. I mean, we've as I mentioned earlier today, we've we we've, we have a purpose built. Uh, EQMS software platform that is specifically and exclusively for the medical device industry. And, and a lot of these habits that I've shared with you today and we've talked about today, uh, that is built into our entire culture at Greenlight and into our 
uh, software platform. So if you're interested in figuring out how to adopt some of these habits that we've shared today, uh, I would encourage you to go to www.greenlight.guru to learn more.